one of your commitments to the new year is to learn how to crack the code for your family's illnesses. Take it on, really make this your focus. Because it's inevitable that if you make it into a focus, it will turn into reality. It's podcast number 43 at joettecalibres.com. In this podcast, Joette gives us some of her secrets to setting goals and strategies to become unstoppable using homeopathy. We will learn more about homeopathy for ear infections, cold sores, deep sorrow, and how to determine when to use aconite and ignatia. Now let's get started. Joette, it's a new year, 2018, and I know you're very excited uh, about the things that you have planned for the coming year, and I'm excited as well. So today, let's spend a little bit of time just talking about goals and how to achieve those goals and and how we want to help our families. Yeah, that sounds like a great topic. Joette, looking forward, be our visionary. Guide us as we go into the new year and how to help our families using homeopathy okay well let me start by saying that homeopathy classical homeopathy homeopathy in general is a very vast in-depth subject and it can seem overwhelming in fact it is overwhelming (laughs) so um what my goal always is uh, my personal goal and my professional goal is to make it as easy as i possibly can for my students my clients for those my readers my listeners, to try to get the complex and bring it down to something really simple. There's actually a word in Italian, and the word is sprezzatura, and it, it, it means getting the complex or the lofty and huge and bringing it down to a level that makes it look like it's effortless, even though there's a lot of complexity behind it. So I love that word because it kind of touches on the fact that We're getting something, you know, human health and a medicine that approaches it so elegantly and making it simple and doable and breaking it down and parsing it into pieces. That's my, always my professional goal, not just for myself for years in the past, but also now for my students and readers and listeners. So I believe that it's very doable. We can get something that's complex and make it simple uh, by approaching it, not by saying, gee, I want to cure cancer. I mean, you know, no, you want to start kind of small. You want to start with your own family members. And I always encourage folks to, um, number one, try to work with others if you possibly can. Join a group, join a study group, start a study group. I mean, I always talk about the study groups and, you know, that are available, you know, our gateway classes that are available through, through the website and then meeting with people from all over the world for that matter, or all over the country, or just those in your neighborhood, your church group. Um, uh, it's not the only way to do this. There are many ways to do this, but it, once you join a group or start a group, you'll be surprised at how quickly you will accomplish what seems like the impossible. And so, Joette, I want to interrupt you really quickly here because I think a lot of people are intimidated, or some people are anyway, by starting a study group and they think, oh, I have to be at a certain level to start a study group. That's really not true, right? 
No, it has nothing to do with level at all. You don't have to have any understanding of homeopathy whatsoever. All you have to have is a will to want to learn. And that's always at the core of everything, is to want to improve yourself. And once you have that ability to find that in yourself and kind of pull it out from deep inside and say, I want to learn this, and I don't know anything about it, but let's all learn together. And even if you bring in people who know more than you, that's great. That's the way you're going to, all you have to do is be the organizer or join in and not be an organizer at all and just be, you know, a neophyte um, or whatever level that you're already at. My teachers always said when I was first starting to study homeopathy, they said the only way you're going to learn, really, really learn this, is if you step outside of your little world and um, either go into practice or start treating people around you. And what he meant, it was Jeremy Shear, actually, who, who I first remember saying that. Um, what he meant was that the only way you're going to learn this is if you do a lot of it. You can't just do, you know, if you have one child, you're not going to get an awful lot of experience in this. But if you have a child and a dog and a husband and a mother-in-law and a sister-in-law and a church group, and, or you join a group of others who are doing the same for their families, you're going to expand your um, knowledge just by being exposed to other people's problems and other people's illnesses. It's the only way to do this. So I find that the folks who learn the fastest, you know, who are treating their families are the ones with the really large families. Six kids, nine kids, 12 kids, or lots of animals, lots of livestock, lots of pets, or people who have, are in a group, a church group, or, um, or who study together with others. Those are the ones who learn the fastest. And of course, motivation. You gotta have that motivation. You gotta have that will, that burning desire. I am going to figure this out. I'm tired of these ear infections in my kids. I'm tired of the chronic strep throats. I've had it with the boils. I've had it with the eczema. I have got to figure this out. I'm tired of the drugs and I'm tired of, of the can being kicked down the road. That kind of motivation is unstoppable. Once you have that fire under you, especially if it's a mother or grandmother, no one can stop a mother or grandmother from being highly motivated to take care of their families. We're like lionesses. Right, but you have to be determined too. You have to have some gut spunk and moxie in order to do this because it's not always easy. There are going to be times where you don't hit it, you know, right away and get the right yeah. remedy. And so you have to set some goals, have to be determined, right? So that is where being within a, a group of people, whether it's a study group or just a group of friends or your church group, like you said, that's where um, that's helpful because you can bounce ideas. They can support one another. You're not alone doing this. Right, right. And inadvertently, you learn by listening to someone else's troubles. You know, your child may never have otitis media, but another mother's children have them all the time. And you think, oh, well, I don't have to worry about that because my kids don't get otitis media. Instead, my kids have got, you know, food intolerances. And you listen to the mother and you listen to how she uses pulsatilla for her child's ear infection. And it works beautifully, and it's especially useful for when the child has just had ice cream or a lot of foods from restaurants, and she gives her pulsatilla, and it cures the otitis media. And you know that your child has a problem with food intolerances, and you just learned that pulsatilla is a great medicine for food intolerances, especially foods from restaurants, and from too much ice cream or too much dairy or too many creamy foods. You just 
pulled from the hat, so to speak, pulled from your classmates or your friends' experience, then you synthesize that and you find that pulsatilla is great for both food intolerances that cause whatever, stomach aches or whatever, that are related to, um, as I said, eating too much dairy or having ice cream the night before or eating at a restaurant and that it causes stomach issues. And it can cause ear infections by doing the same. What do you know? You now know some very important keynotes to the remedy pulsatilla. So even though it may never seem as though that particular condition will come your way, those, that otitis media, that her family suffering, you have just learned how to apply the knowledge that she gained and is spreading through your little community and using it for yourself. It's gorgeous. There are unifying threads in homeopathy that can help us pull it all together. It's like a, this is the way I imagine it sometimes, a blue satin ribbon from one family to the next family to the next family, and it goes round and round, and it just floats between the families, and we all connect to it. It's beautiful. So instead of it being a burden, now it becomes an excitement. I get it. There's nothing like that light bulb coming up over your head, and you say, oh my gosh, I get it. Look at what Pulsatilla does. Then what you do is you go to your Materia Medica. If you don't own one, you go online to the free Materia Medicas. And what should you read? Pulsatilla. What do you know? And then you learn, not only is it good for otitis media after having had ice cream or stomach aches after having had ice cream or eating at a restaurant, but it's also great for girls who are coming into menarche and have irregular menstrual cramps and menstrual periods. And we can go on and on and on. Now, once you make that your medicine that you want to understand, you will not miss a case with pulsatilla, most likely. You'll know it. So that's how you take off one bite instead of thousands of bites at once. You can't cure cancer with a little bit of knowledge in homeopathy, although it's done all the time in the Banerjee Research Center in Calcutta. But you can treat these kinds of conditions and learn that medicine. Now when you finish with pulsatilla and you've got that down, chalk it up and now you'll learn another medicine that is related to it. And how do you go about doing that? Well, let's say, you know, that woman comes back again and she says, well, my daughters are helped by pulsatilla, but my son, boy, every time they get an, an ear infection, I use keep ourself. And you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, now that's connected. Keep ourself helps with ear infections. What else will it help with? And then you start studying Keep Herself. Now you've got two medicines that you understand. And I always urge folks to write them down on three by five cards. I know that's very retro, but it really works. I've got three by five cards all over my house. I, I had more of them on homeopathy before, and now they're, you know, they're saying for, me, for my family and, and me to live by, or something I want to remember, or a word that I want to learn, a vocabulary word. But I've got to paste it up all over the house, really. They're, you know, double-sided scotch tapes, that kind of stuff. Well, we have those remedy cards that you can print out from your blogs. Yes. Yeah, the remedy cards. Absolutely. Make a copy of it. Put one in a book. Some people put them in a three-ring binder. These are all free, folks, right on the blog. So you can put them in a, in a three-ring binder and organize them according to a condition, or you can... Put them in. Some people tell me they put them in little recipe boxes, um, and then make if you make a double copy, then you have another one because it's an important one that you want to memorize. For example, and you stick it in, onto your rear view mirror in your car. So every time you get in the car, you memorize, you look at it again, 
And after a while, you'll learn it. And then all you have to do is hear someone who was helped by it and how they went about doing it, and it then becomes yours. And with this step-by-step, inch-by-inch, you're growing your garden of knowledge in how to cure others and yourself. It's a beautiful avocation. I have a friend that she gets up every morning and she has a commitment to herself to just spend, whether it's a half an hour, hour, just looking at remedies in the Materia Medica, just learning about even one remedy, like you were saying, one medicine that she just looks at every day. And so by the end of the year, if you did that every day, you would know quite a lot about a a lot of different medicines. Well, I'm not so young anymore, so I can't memorize one and consider it committed to memory forever. I mean, now I do have them committed to memory pretty much because I did it when I was much younger. But I know my memory is not as good as it used to be, and I can't hold things like I used to. So I might need to study a remedy for two or three days if I were to start this afresh now. But nonetheless, even if you took three days to learn one medicine, and just the keynotes, not the whole thing, not every aspect of it, but the keynotes and those aspects of the medicine that are useful for your family, that's what you want to study. You want to know what's, what is going on in my family. My husband gets shin splints. You need to know the remedies for shin splints. Your daughter gets menstrual cramps. You need to know the medicines for menstrual cramps. Your son is prone to impetigo. You need to know the remedies for impetigo. And not just know them, you need to own them. Because what good is it if you don't have the medicine and you got to wait a week before it comes in the mail? So owning and understanding and owning on, you know, on, that, on that intellectual level is really key. Now, it doesn't mean you have to memorize constantly. You don't have to just memorize. I mean, there are books. My books have got it right there. You don't have to. You can just look them up. You can look these these medicines up. You can look them up on my blog. What do you use for impetigo? What do you use for otitis media, menarche, painful uh, menses and menarche? You can look them all up. But to know a few, a handful of really important medicines, like if somebody has a head injury, you don't want to have to look that up. If your husband has a skiing accident or falls off the roof while he's cleaning the gutters and he has a pretty serious head injury on the way to the hospital, you wanna you don't want to be paging through a book. You wanna know you're going to give arnica or cuprum or aconitum ASAP and continually give it and know how to give it. And not only that, but you have to have those in your purse, in your pocket. Somewhere right. you have to have those remedies. Yes. Well, if you own a kit, a little homeopathy kit. And we sell them in the office, but you can get them online. You can get them many places with 100 remedies in it and a small. And you just throw that into your purse on the way out to, into the ambulance or whatever. You just throw that in there. Now you know you've got everything. You're all set. So no matter what comes your way, you've got your phone with you. You're going to look this up. If you're part of a study group, you can look up. I, you know, I, there was a, there was a, we put a blog up recently of, of someone who had been, I think it was Portugal, and her husband was in Portugal or Spain. Well, they were at a wine tasting event and he cut his hand very, very severely. And she was part of one of the study groups that we run. And she uh, got online and went to Facebook and she was telling people what was happening and people were responding and telling her exactly what to do. I mean, those were like her buddies for life now. These are people who she now owes a debt of gratitude and she understands that. She really is very grateful for how um, responsive and um, helpful they were. Beautiful. You don't even need to look it up. There's someone right there in the waiting. 
Yeah, I find that over and over again. I hear stories of that and I see it personally. You're out and you're about, you can't keep your wits about you. You go to that Facebook page and you just type something in and someone is always responding super quickly. It's great. People love to help. Mm-hmm. Because not only are they helping because it feels good to help others, but also because it's nice to say, wow, I know the answer to that. It's like raising your hand. I know, I got it, I got it. Bless <laughs> me, me. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you're in class. <laughs> you know, when you accomplish something, you want to use it. There's nothing like that sense of accomplishment, whether it's learning how to play a sonata or learning how to make a great chicken pot pie from scratch. There's nothing like that sense of accomplishment. Okay, so we have a wide variety of listeners to this podcast. People who are new to homeopathy, people who have... Um, been using homeopathy for many years, people who are practitioners. So I think we've addressed some of the newer students and how they might set some goals. Can we talk for a few minutes about those who have been doing this for a while and what kind of goals or what kind of tips might you have for them for the new year? They're not all that different than the goals I just suggested for someone who's a neophyte. Really, if you're learning homeopathy, you want to know a whole array. You want to know, you know, for my exam, I had to know 300 some remedies in order to be able to pass the exam. Hold, I needed to understand all the keynotes and even the, the, the more um, unusual medicines. So you still want to know these things. And the more you have memorized, the more fluent you become in the language of how to handle things. When I used to uh, use strictly classical, someone would say, do you have a remedy for, let's say, I don't cold sores? And I would think to myself, oh my gosh, they think this is easy, that I just have a remedy and here you go. But with <laughs> classical, you got to take an entire case and that can take, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. And, and I'd say, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I can't keep answering these kinds of questions. Or they'd be like a neighbor or a friend or something. But I did it anyway, because it was an exercise in um, repertorizing and learning how to do this. And so that I was hoping to see a pattern. Now, though, with these protocols, Batterjees and otherwise, this practical homeopathy that I teach, you know, you could just rattle it right off. Super easy. It's mercurius, vive, and, and arsenicum. How easy is that for a cold sore? Beautiful. That's a gorgeous thing that you can actually say, or you can use Roostox, or you could use antimonium crude six. I've memorized those because I consider it important enough. Now, when I get an email from someone, you know, a relative, and I've got plenty, and they say they send me an email, I don't have to go back and repertorize. I don't have to look in my notes. I just know which ones they are. Right. And, and hypericum is another one for cold sores too, right? Yes, it is. If it's painful, absolutely. Yes, that works beautifully sometimes. Yeah. Well, for those who are who've been around a while or practitioners or they've been using homeopathy for a while, you can never stop learning. That's the best part. You know, it's like music. You never stop learning. You start by with the center C and you then move from there and you learn the C scale and then you learn an arpeggio, C E G, and then even if you're a skilled classical pianist you or whatever kind of pianist you are, jazz pianist, there's always more to learn. And you're always going back to those scales and you always need to repeat those basics, your technique. You bet. bet. And the same thing with cooking. Think about cooking. You could go classically French. You could 
you could be wild and woolly African. You can be, I mean, there's so many ways to go. That's what I love. I like to know that whatever discipline I'm studying or that I've embraced, that there's more to learn. Because I don't want it to end. I want it to keep going. I want to do this well into my 90s if I make it that long. I think it's a good idea to make a point of being a good listener and not only will that reap you better results, but it makes you uh, valuable to your family member, for example. You have to listen and you must observe. And if you're not listening, you're not going to get the case. If you're not observing, you're not going to be able to pick up on what you need. And I think it's always better that when you're working with a family member that you don't ask too many questions, you just mostly observe. Wow, that person is still getting those bloody noses, for goodness sakes. And you're observing. What did they eat yesterday? Maybe that was it. Or maybe it's the cold weather. Uh, and, and, and when they start to tell you, say, talk about those bloody noses, and they start to tell you about it. That's, you are being a really good parent because you care. It's not that you can say, oh, well, we'll talk about it later. Because if the child or the person has a bloody nose, you're about to pay attention. And you want to fully pay attention and not freak. You don't want to freak out and say, oh, my gosh, we've got to get to the pediatrician or the ENT or whatever. No, no, no. You want to stay cool and just think of where you need to go to get this information. And one of them, of course, is my blog. Um, but if you've got some books, you can look it up in the books. If you've got my allergy course, it's in the allergy course. Um, or you can just go online. I mean, thank God for the internet. Let's hope that it stays as clean as it is so far uh, because there's a lot of great information. And it's important that we know where to find this stuff so that when the time comes and you need it, you, you've got that at your fingertips. I also urge people not only to listen, but to not wing it. Don't wing it. Have a rationale. And don't go too deep in your rationale. Don't go too deep in terms of saying, well, this bloody nose is because the person has heavy metals and they have the MTHFR gene. And it's because they probably have yeast and parasites. Wait a minute, you've just missed the whole point. What happened to the bloody nose? Just use the information, just the facts, ma'am. The bloody nose. Now, what do you use for a bloody nose? Regardless of the etiology, regardless of the cause, regardless of whether or not it is from heavy metals. If you note that this bloody nose happens every winter, okay, you can say it's from winter. Is it from because the heat goes on? Well, some people assume that it's the heat. Oftentimes, it has nothing to do with the heat. Oftentimes, it's simply the change of the season into winter. So don't uh, dig too deeply and run down rabbit holes. Stick with the facts, but don't jump on an idea and wing it. Make sure it's substantiated to a certain degree. That you know what you're looking at. This is a bloody nose. Not hemorrhaging, unless of course it is hemorrhaging, but you, you want to observe and make note and be as scientific as you can, leaving the emotion to the side. I think that's a mistake well, not, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but in the beginning when I started using homeopathy, I probably drove my kids crazy with the questions, you know, well, okay, let's see what, 
what do you feel? Do you feel better when it's cold, when it's warm? You know, when you look at this classically, there's a lot of questions that you can ask and a lot of things that you can observe. But now with the practical protocols, the Banerjee protocols, I love it because you're right. It's so, it's so much cleaner and easier. And, and if I'm observant and really look at what is surrounding the circumstances of that child's bloody nose, I don't have to ask a lot of questions. I can just look at the protocols, observe what's happening, and give them the remedies. Absolutely. It quiets your mind. Right. Those 2 a.m. disquieting moments disquieting thoughts can drive you you and your family crazy. In fact, if you're feeling like you are going crazy and you're, and you're not sure what to do, you get Ignatia 200 first. It's like being in an airplane and you put the oxygen on your face first before you tend to your child. You need to be the nucleus and be clear-headed about this. And sometimes if you feel like you're freaking out, the best thing for you to do is to take Ignatia 200. So that needs, of course, to be in your kit. And aconite, too, because if you've just witnessed your child having an accident, yes. you might be yes. needing some aconite first yes. for you, and then you can think about what to do. Well, and I love aconite as a primer. It's one of the first remedies we always think of. And if your child has just had an accident or someone has witnessed an accident and now somebody's sick or has a condition as a result of it, aconite is our first remedy. So if we're going to talk about a particular remedy, we talked about pulsatilla and heat ourselves already, but I, I loved for people to know all about aconite, and it's one of the first medicines in most homeopathy kits. So if you study anything, that's a great place to start is with aconitum. It's aconitum nepalis, and we call it aconite for short. That's a beautiful one. And even if you have a good amount of experience in homeopathy, go back to it, read it again. Go back to your Materia Medica. Read it over and over and over and over and over again because you now understand the keynotes, but what about the subtleties that you might be able to pick up on, the nuances that will help you at some point? Right, and every Materia Medica will have a little bit of a different spin to yes. a remedy. And I was just reading through your Materia Medica last night, Joette. I, was, I, I forget why I initially picked it up, but I picked it up and I had to look up something. And then <laughs> I just caught myself reading through all the different remedies and, you know, looking at what you had written. And like you said, I cannot probably ever look at aconite enough in a Materia Medica because I'm always going to pick up something different in there. Yeah, because as we learn, we learn a couple of pieces here and there, and then other parts of what we've just read fall to the wayside. Next time around, we already know those new pieces, and now we can add to our knowledge. And it's just, they're building blocks. It's the best way to learn, unless you have a photographic memory. And, you know, our brains turn to mush when we're, when we're freaking out, when we see someone who's suffering, someone we love, or even if it isn't someone we love. Someone was just telling me yesterday, this person is a hunter, and they saw a deer caught in a fence, and although they deer hunt, the thought and the, and the vision of that deer struggling was just horrifying for them. It was horrible. They don't want to see an animal struggle. No one wants to see that. And if that stays with that person all day and into the night and the next day, they're still thinking about that, that uh, poor struggling creature that they might need Ignatia 200 for themselves to quiet their mind, or they might need even aconitum if it was severe enough. By the way, the, the, the upshot of the story was that they, they got the deer out and he was free. Oh, good. Yeah. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Aconite versus Ignatia. 
in a situation like that, what might be the determining factor, which one to, to pull out and use? Yeah, good. That's great. I'm glad you, said, you brought that up. So aconitum is, I call it first shock. So it comes on quickly. Someone's driving their car, everything's just hunky-dory, and they're driving down the, the road, and bam, they run into a truck. That is a shock. You don't have to go into shock, as in what, what might be determined from a medical point of view, into shock, but certainly it's shocking. So anything that's shocking, that comes on hard and fast, and one minute everything is fine, and the next minute um, life is now taking on a whole new reality, that's aconitum. So that happens with accidents. It can happen with children, or anyone for that matter, who's, who's outside in the hot sun, and they get really, really warm. And then they jump into a very cold quarry or something, and they get a chill. It, it's, it shakes you down to your core. Or someone who's walking outside in the autumn wind, and they don't have a hat on, and their coat is opened up and unbuttoned, and they get a chill. And shortly after, they get a flu or a cold. That night, they get a fever. Or when that person has had a good cold dive into a quarry, that night, they get sick. They feel nauseous, or they feel like they've gotten a deep chill. Those are all um, opportunities to use aconitum or cough that comes on um, pretty quickly. That's aconitum. Ignatia, it's more on the psychological side. It has more to do with uh, the mind that's very, very busy and very worried and nothing is right and life just stinks and what am I going to do and this is horrible and maybe I'll do this. No, maybe I'll do that. I'll, I asked her what she would do and she said this. No, but he said that. And the mind is just busy, 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 worrying, freaking, grieving, frightened, lots of fears, fear of this, fear of that. That is often Ignatia 200. It's especially useful for sadness and deep sorrow and grieving. Um, I, I'll never forget when my aunt passed away, my uncle, and he was in his upper 90s. He only had her all his life. They never had children. It was just the two of them. She passed away. And he went into such deep grief. I've actually talked about this. Um, he went into such deep grief that he was becoming delusional. Now, my uncle was a pretty sturdy guy, six feet tall, you know, stood firmly on the ground, pragmatic. To see him crumple like this was really, um, talk about disquieting in my world, seeing him like this was surprising to me. But he was really crumbling. And he was seeing my aunt. He kept saying, I see her. I see her. She's on the couch. She, there she is. She's on the couch. And I'd be on the phone with him. And I'd say, no, no, Uncle Tony. No, she's not on the couch. Go get the remedy kit that I gave you. Get in that kit and get Ignatia out. And he would take the Ignatia and he'd be just, no, I know I saw her, but wait, no, it's just the raincoat. I left my raincoat there. And then he'd come back and sit down in his easy chair. And then a minute later, he'd say, I see her, I see her, I know she's here. And he would be all shaking. His voice was wobbly. It was awful, awful to witness. And so meanwhile, while we were on the phone, I would, I would talk to him while we were on the phone and help him calm down and tell him, take a dose of that Ignatia. Okay, now we waited another even 15 minutes later. And normally, I don't say to use it so, so soon. But in this case, he was in such a state that I urged him to take another dose in 15 minutes. And after the second dose, he started to cry. And he became, came back to his wits. He was grieving, no doubt. But it was the awareness that, no, she was not there. He was no longer delusional. And we don't really think of Ignatius as a remedy for delusion. But in his situation, that's what, exactly what happened. 
And then we talk and the crying and the sobbing would turn into just, oh, I miss her so much. I wish she was here. And I was becoming more within the range of normal. And then I would hear from him for a couple of days and then it would start up again, only next time it wasn't as severe. I think I saw her. Maybe, did I see her, Joe? Just tell me, am I seeing? I think I'm seeing things. And so he had a, one foot in reality and one foot in, in, in this delusion. And then he, he knew then to start taking Ignatia and he would start taking it. And he took it every day then, uh, sometimes two, three, four times in a day uh, when he was in really severe sadness or really more delusion, as I said in the beginning. And then later on, it just turned into sadness. And eventually he got over it. And by eventually, I mean, it took weeks for him to get out of the heavy duty grieving and get into, okay, what, do I, what am I supposed to do with my life now? What should I do? Should I sell the house? Should I be moving into a home for the elderly? And so he started to become more pragmatic and get back to his old self. But Ignatia did wonders for him. And it got to the point where I bought him a few bottles of it and he swore by it. He was very delighted that he had something that he could uh, that could help pull pick up the pieces oh what a sweet story though how how he missed her so much but so what would he have done without that ignatia think about it you know what might have oh, yeah. well he would have probably come more recluse and um if he were to call the doctor he'd be on tons of antidepressants yeah he had a lot of drugs and then he'd have new symptoms most likely because that's what a lot of those psychotropic drug, drugs do they just give you a new set of symptoms and he would have had you know I don't know, sleeplessness or constipation or hives or whatever else these things cause or suicidal thoughts because sometimes those drugs can cause that. Now, I'm not saying you never, ever, ever take psychotropic drugs, um, but that's not the goal here. We don't want to be propped up with synthetic stuff that causes more trouble later. We don't want to kick it down the, the can down the road. We want to correct the problem, and that's exactly what that Ignatius did for my uncle. I think it's good also to remember Ignatia. I have several friends who use it every winter when they start going down that, you know, there's less sun. It's just, you bet. you're inside more. They use it every winter and just, it takes them out of that winter funk. Well, you know, what's interesting about this is that if you ask a naturopath or a clinical ecologist or a functional MD, they would say, well, it's just vitamin D. You've got to take more vitamin D. You're low in vitamin D. Well, what about those people who, and I get people who are really, up on nutrition and they're taking cod liver oil and eating liver and eating tons of carrots and they're getting in the sun and they're working out and they're running it outside even in the snow and yet there's still a problem so they come to homeopathy thinking i need a remedy that's going to help me with my vitamin d when really homeopathy is not about the vitamin d because we don't know necessarily that that is the cause it could be something else that we don't know about yet. We just automatically assume that it's vitamin D, uh, a loss of vitamin D. But uh, they come to homeopathy looking for really the bottom line. They're thinking it's vitamin D. What really is, is is sadness as a result of the winter or sadness that happens in the winter, maybe not even the result of sadness in the winter. So what's sadness? Often it's Ignatia 200 twice a day. Now, does, does Ignatia then increase our vitamin D? Uptake so that now that when we eat foods high in vitamin D, such as cod liver oil or butter or lard or something like that, that our vitamin D is increased or that we can absorb it now? Perhaps. But what matter does it make? Really, in the end, if the condition is corrected by Ignatia 200C, a bottle of it costs, what, $8, $9? And they can correct that 
and, and not have problems with that um, within a few days or even sometimes within one dose, what difference does it make? Because in the end, perhaps it wasn't vitamin D, a lack of vitamin D. Perhaps it wasn't any of those theories. So instead of theorizing, we use what we see. That's when I say, give me the facts, ma'am. Because a lot of times people will say, I have a vitamin D problem. What they're really saying is, I have anxiety and depression going to. So we give them Ignatia and it uproots it. It's so much cleaner. It's so much easier. Because to try to figure out the cause is often um, running down a rabbit hole. Another way of saying it, it is it's chasing rainbows. Good luck. I mean, what's the reason for a bird to sing? How do you know? Really? <laughs> I mean, we, how could we possibly know the physiology to that degree in a human body uh, for every single condition? You know, when my car is broken and I take it to the to be analyzed, they can't even figure out my car. <laughs> they can't diagnose why it won't start. If we think we can do it with a human body, can, we can figure out the cause. Well, if we can, great. But if we can't, and it often happens that we can't, that's when homeopathy comes in. So as we come to a close in this podcast, Joette, give us some final words of wisdom for 2018. Well, for me, 2018 is about moving. I've moved from one state to another and I'm rearranging my household. So I can't stop thinking about um, housekeeping this year. And so I came up with the idea that what we really all need to do is to do some serious housekeeping this year for 2018. I urge folks to rearrange the furniture in, in their lives, but the furniture in our minds. In other words, don't just question the medicine you've grown up with or that you've known for all these years. Get way past that and rearrange your thinking and take a much bigger giant step ahead. Make your goal this year to own at your fingertips every alternative that uh, modern medicine has given you. Find the alternative homeopathically. There is an alternative for most everything that modern medicine has claimed is the only answer. So instead, know that Heparsulf or Hypericum arsenicum is used instead of antibiotics. That's the alternative to antibiotics. It's not the only, these are not the only ones, but these are the main ones. How about knowing that sepia is the alternative to synthetic hormones for women? Or that Apis is fabulous instead of Benadryl. You want to know these. You want to rearrange your thinking so that these are not only a part of your new way of looking at life for 2018, but that you know them at your fingertips, those that impact your family and you. You just listened to a podcast by joettecalabrese.com. Where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shared her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy and nutrient dense nutrition. Joette's podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. If you liked it, please share it with your friends. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit in your health strategy, visit joettecalabrese.com.